0: Amen. Let's, uh, we're going to go into our series right away. We are on week session 10, I guess. I been on this thing for, no, I take that back. Session 9. Next week will be session 10. Um, we are in the midst of a series called Our Story. And we've been going through the Bible um, in, an, in huge swaths of Space. Our, I think our last week we covered nine books of the Bible in one message. Um, I, I do sign autographs after church in case you're wondering. Uh, anyway, no, it's been great because we're, we're really just trying to get just acquainted with Scripture, really get to where we know the story of the Bible because it's our story. And um, last week we talked about the conquest of Canaan from Joshua, all the way through to the United Kingdom with the kings, and so we dealt with First and Second Kings, First and Second uh, Samuel, all the way up to Second Chronicles, where Solomon, in his sin, in his ad- adultery toward God and his idolatry by worshiping other gods, God takes the kingdom, and. Uh, separates it from, from him and his, his family, at least 10 tribes of it. There's, there's the northern kingdom. For all of you who have ever heard of, and you've wondered maybe how it all worked, if you never quite got there, there's, how many of you have heard of Israel versus Judah? Those are the two tribes that were formed. So Israel becomes uh, the primary nation with 10 tribes in that, that country, and that's ruled by someone who's not a son of David, and then David's family continues to rule Judah, and, uh, and in that is Judah and Benjamin, those those two. And this this is caused by the cycle of of being faithful to God and being blessed by Him, and then getting comfortable in blessing, and then and then backsliding because you were taking it for granted, and then. Then coming under oppression because you're backslidden, God's blessing isn't on you. And then being brought back to realization that, hey, we need to get right with God. We need to, you know, um, be faithful to him. And this cycle is the history of Israel. Just so you understand, if you ever want to know what the history of Israel is, this is it. Obedience, blessing, backsliding. Then coming back to God, blessing, <laughs> And the cycle just continues to go on. This is the history of Israel, and this is where we we come today. Um, Today we are going to spend quite a bit of time dealing with just one of the kings. Um, How many has anyone ever heard of of David? Anybody here know the story of David? Uh, Most of us know about Goliath, and uh, that would be some of us uh, the extent of our knowledge about David. But this week, I want to really drill deep into David, at least as deep as I can in a, about a 35-minute a talk. David is is one of the three most important people in Scripture. You need to get this and get this deep in you. Um, in the entire Bible, he's one of three. Uh, Abraham is really, I would say, the first, and he's the first Jew. He's the one that God makes covenant with, that that starts this whole thing of of. Of a faith family started. And God's blessing to the world is to come through Abraham. So he's the number one. And, and number three, uh, some of us would, would definitely recognize that it's Jesus. That he is the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of the blessing that God wanted to give to Abraham to the world. He is the, the promise that God made all the way in Genesis 3.15, Fulfilled. And he's also the fulfillment of all of the covenants, all of the promises, all of the blessings. He is all of it. And so if you don't have Jesus, um, you need to just start there because the blessings of God are in him. And David is literally right in between those two. Um, Abraham lived approximately 2500 BC. Uh, Jesus, of course, is right around uh, 33 A.D. that he's crucified, David lives smack dab in between them right around 1,000 A.D. And uh, he is both in time a bridge, but also figuratively a bridge. He is God's anointed king. He is the one that God chose for the throne. And, and God's promises lay in him. There's a reason that uh, that Jesus is called the Son of David. And uh, when I didn't know much about God, back when I was, I was like, um, I was not really a Christian, I'd heard, you know, Jesus, Son of David, and I was like, what is the deal with that? The biggest thing is this. You need to catch this right now. Jesus is the Son of David because he's the anointed king. This is huge because... He is the one who's called to reign this, in this world. He's going to establish a kingdom that will never end. And, and, and I want you to catch this. He's a son of David, right? But, but each and every one of us, in a very real way, is called to be a David in this world. In fact, the name of this message is, You Are a David. David. You are a David. And, and for so many of us, you know, we, we sit here and, and, and we know that Jesus is the son of David. I mean, when, when um, blind Bartimaeus is, is in Jericho in Luke uh, 18, he, he calls out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He is the son of David who's going to reign forever. But I want you to hear me on this. Jesus is the son of David. But we, I, you, are his siblings. And I know this is not heresy. This actually is in the Bible. Hang on a second. Um, Hebrews 2.11 says this. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. Now, hear this. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Do you know that Jesus calls you his brother or his sister? Does that blow anyone's mind other than mine? I mean, I know it's not real big, but it's still blown. I'm talking about myself, not you. Don't worry. Um, we are considered... Brothers and sisters with Christ. And, and that means, now check this out. That means that if he's a son of David, I'm a son of David. You're a son of David. You're a daughter of David. You are a child of the king. And if we are Jesus' brothers and sisters, then we are children of David. That's why Scripture calls us twice in the book of Revelation, in 1.6 and in 5.10. In the book of Revelation, Scripture calls us kings and priests, that we are called to reign in the earth. Listen to Revelation 5.10 in the King James. And hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. The NIV is a little more friendly Not so many hast and unto and all of that. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. So there's, you'll notice there's a little bit of change there. There's some controversy about how to translate the word that's translated king or kingdom. That's neither here nor there. We can talk about that some other time. But the most important thing is this. The second part of that verse says, and they will reign on the earth. We are called, hear me. We are called to reign. This is important. Because kings reign. We are called to reign. We are called to be kings that manifest kingdom. This kingdom of God that we are to show, this is what we are called to do individually. As people who are born of God, people who are born again, people who know and understand. That Jesus died for our sins, to set us free, to liberate us. He didn't just do it for you. He didn't just do it so that we could be free, that we could be made whole. Did he do it for those reasons? Yes. But it's so that we as kings, as children of the king, representing him in this world, can begin to shine that kingdom out and bring transformation to people all around us. That is what the church is called to do. And what's amazing and frustrating to me is that nobody preaches this. Hardly anybody. People go to church all over the world and they catch a message that makes them feel good or makes them think that it's going to be all right. And and it is. But this is the thing. That is not why we're here. We are here to grow, that we might begin to shine, that we might begin to take this world and show them Jesus. And bring the transformation that he intended for us to have in this world. That's our purpose, church. And if you didn't know it, now you know. We're here to change the world. It's not about building a big church or having a nice building, and I love this building, and I love the sacrifice that you all made long before I ever showed up here. But it is not about this property. It's not about getting somebody in the door. It's not about just bringing them here so they can come to church. It's about bringing church to them. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. It's time for us to begin to step out. So today I'm going to talk to you about David. And about us. And um, just so you understand, this is the summary, this is like a grand summary, obviously, of of a book that I just actually finished writing called Where Are the Davids? It should be out sometime this spring. So, uh, anyway, let's start talking about this. I want you to understand that it all started with anointing, with an anointing to be king. David was just a teenager. It's just about Mariah and Zach's age, about 16. And um, he's just a, a handsome shepherd boy on the backside of some pasture somewhere, strumming his harp and singing his songs and killing bears and lions, evidently. Guarding his sheep. But see, he's anointed to be king. There's there's been a problem. We know we talked about Saul last week, and Saul is, is a man who's who's swayed by the opinions of others. He's a man pleaser, not a God pleaser. He's somebody who's trying to exalt himself and through political means secure his kingdom. And God is not interested in our politics. He's not interested in our manipulation of Mankind. He is not interested in the things so much that you can do. He is interested in you getting out of the way so that he can do what he can only do. I told somebody this morning, we have a, we have a little Sunday school class. I've got three guys who are my dudes. They're my men. We hang out. We talk. And uh, this morning I was talking about I was talking about, you know, the difference between, like, Billy Graham and us? I mean, granted, there's a calling difference, but the the difference between the level of effectiveness that God has in a Billy Graham compared to the effectiveness he has in us has everything to do, in my opinion, with how little of Billy is left to get in the way of what God wants to do. For most of us, the issue is not whether or not God wants to use us, the issue is whether or not we can get out of the way so he can. <laughs> David, his heart was toward God. His, his, his very being was centered on worship. If you read the book of Psalms and you're familiar with that, that portion of Scripture... Those words that are penned there so many of them come from the hand of David where he's writing about God being his shepherd he's he he shall not want he he talks in other places about he is his fortress and his shield he is his sword and his buckler I don't even know what a buckler is but it sounds cool God is his everything. He's he's the the shelter in the storm. He's the rock that that he clings to. He is the foundation of his life. And God's presence is the hope of his existence. But this thing I want you to understand. David is not just anointed to be king. He's anointed for battle. See, kings in the ancient world were the champions of their nation. Part of the problem with, with the story of Goliath is that, that here is this giant mountain of a man in the middle of a, of a valley taunting God and his, angel, and his armies. And, and here sits the king of Israel on his throne, removed from the battle. He's supposed to be the champion. So, so God doesn't just anoint David to be king. He anoints him to be a warrior. And I'm going to say this. We are, folks, we are anointed for battle. We are anointed for battle. And it's not natural battle. I know you guys got enough guns to give any battalion a good, good time. In these hills, there's, there's some weapons up in here. Uh, that's not the kind of battle we're talking about. The battle I'm talking about is, is fought on our face, on our knees, crying out to God. We have been anointed for battle as David was anointed for battle. And Goliath is huge and ugly. He's got many victories under his belt, and and he's a mighty warrior in the stench of death. It's like a trophy that exudes from him. And when we come to face him, it looks like we're guaranteed to be the loser. But see, what's amazing is that in, in the big scheme of things, guys, this is so cool. Goliath doesn't have a chance. Goliath doesn't stand a chance because you, me, we, the sons of David, have been anointed for the battle that we're facing. Anybody got any battles in your life right now? Anybody feeling like you got more fight than you've got in you? There's more problems than you can face. There's more trouble than you want to deal with. But this is the thing. I want you to understand, no matter what you're facing, no matter what giant is in the way, no matter how big, how ugly, how strong, how long he's been fighting, it does not matter because you have been anointed for this fight. You are the victor. He is the guaranteed loser. (laughs) I love, and this isn't in the notes or anything, you don't have any scriptures to read, but, but it's so cool when he goes out there. He goes out to face the giant. And, and, and Goliath looks at him and says, says what, what am I? Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Now David didn't walk out there with a, with a shepherd's staff. I think that he was talking about how skinny David was. It's Like, this little boy is a stick, and I am going to... I'm going to snap this little dude. And he says this. He says, says, you come at me with swords and spears and shields, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, whose armies you defy. Come on, somebody. That's pretty good. Got this skinny little boy. And he's calling out the giant going, you're a guaranteed loser, dude. Guaranteed you lose. Because you don't know who's on my side. I want to tell you this right now. No matter what you're facing, you hear me. You hear me clear. You hunters that are up here from out of town and you're going back home to a mess. And you don't even know sometimes what you're going to walk into. Or some of you here in the, in the area and you're, you're dealing with struggles. I want you to understand one thing. You have been anointed for the victory already. The end results are already established. You just need to step into the battle and know that he is with you.
1: <laughs>
0: it's a fixed fight, dude. It's like there's no way to not win except, hear me, except not to go fight. It's time for us to rise up. God needs us. To rise up, He needs us to begin to understand that, that the battles that we're facing, God wants to use to bring us into the place that He can begin to extend His kingdom through us. It's awesome what Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 says. It's one of the first scriptures we have very clearly that, that God is going to come in flesh, that God is going to become a son, that He is going to become a man. And it tells us why. Check this out. Isaiah 9, 7 says this. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there shall be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Of the extent of his kingdom and of his peace. There shall be no end. God is always, from the time of Adam and Eve until now, he has always been about establishing his kingdom in the earth through his children. Always. We, today, are the children of this moment. And we, unlike any other children that have been from the fall of Adam up until Acts chapter 2, we are the only generation from Acts 2 forward, we are the only ones that have been not just anointed for purpose, but filled with God's spirit. That we have been empowered by the living presence of God ever dwelling in us, never leaving us, never forsaking us, never being away from us when we're in the midst of the battle. We have the victory, folks. It's done. It's already set. That's why he came. He came to save us. He came to bring us into his kingdom. He came to set us free from satanic oppression. That is the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of peace. And so Goliath doesn't stand a chance because he's the oppressor of the children of God. Did you catch that? What sealed his death warrant was that he defied God and the armies of Israel. What stands against you and defies you right now? What mocks your God in front of you? I remember when I was when I was just when I was just barely knowing Jesus. I had had the Holy Ghost about a year. Denise and I were at a restaurant and. and um, I, I, I was sitting there, and we were eating, and she was, she was being good, and I was being bad, I was eating something fattening, and she was eating some really lean chicken. And, um, and she cuts into the chicken, and she takes a bite, and she's eating for a little bit, and all of a sudden, she looks at the chicken, and, and the chicken is not cooked. Chicken's like clear. You guys know what I'm talking about. You men may not have a clue, but the women know what I'm talking about. That was a very... That was a that was a kind of a Hills culture joke there. <laughs> These are the jokes, people. Anyway, the chicken was clear, and Denise looks at me and she's like, she's like, uh, oh my gosh, David. I said, baby, don't worry, we prayed. It's good. My brother's sitting next to me. He's lost as lost can be. My brother Stephen, who was prayed here for about a month ago now, he he looks and he goes, you really believe that? I was like, yeah. He goes. He just defied the God of Israel and one of his children. So I knew he was going to get saved. Because because nothing, hear me, nothing can stand, nothing can stand against the victory that God's already gotten you. But you've got to be willing, you've got to be willing to get out there and fight. We just need, God just needs somebody who's willing to step out in the battle and go fight. Because if you go fight, God will bring the victory through you. God has, again, always been about establishing his kingdom in the earth to set people free from satanic oppression through his children. He has sent us here with a job. We need to do it. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 says, so God, so Christ himself, excuse me, gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Hear why, though. Hear why. A lot of times we preach that. Oh, yeah. All the preachers get excited about that. Oh, see, I'm, see I can literally say I'm a gift to God. God gave us as a gift. But if we focus on the gift, we miss the why it was given. Because I was given for only one reason. It's not because I'm so cool or because I'm so smart or because I'm whatever. It's to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. My job is to build you so that you can go do your job. My purpose is not to get up and and speak eloquently and to have incredible thoughts that blow your mind so that you become like, wow, that my pastor's so cool and so awesome and so amazing. My job is only to grow you so that you can become the man, the woman, the king that God created you to be so that you can reign, that you can become who God intended you to be. Does this make any sense? That's why arrogance in the pulpit has no place. Because we're the servants of all. I don't care how good you preach or how bad you preach. (laughs) How many know there's some bad preachers out there? This is the thing. It's about growing us. Because we have a job. You are a king and a priest. And my job, the job of the ministry, is to get you there so that you can do it. But even though that's true, there's only so much I can do with instruction and training. There's only so much God can do through you just sitting in this room. There are things that God needs to bring to you that you can only get in the wilderness. And this is the part of the the conversation that stinks. This is the bad news. Because when David got anointed, he didn't know that he was going to be chased through the wilderness by Saul. He was going to be hiding in caves and fighting for his life. He didn't know that he was going to spend years in exile. And, and, and the thing is this, though, gang. It's the wilderness that proves us. It's the wilderness. It's the times of struggle. It's the difficulties in your life that... that That God needs to bring you through so that you can become the person, the warrior, the king that he created you to be. Jesus said that there would always be struggles in this world. But he also said to take heart because he had overcome the world. That's John 16, 33. David is chased like some of y'all are going to be chasing deer this week. Set up in the blind. Got all your your anti-smell stuff on you. You can. I'm, these are all technical terms. Um, if I lost you, I, I hope you come back to me in a minute. Um, the thing is this: the key, the key. The key that brought David through the wilderness is the same key that brings us through our wilderness. It is that he was faithful to God in the midst of the struggles. Can you imagine the questions of David, anointed to be king at 16 years old, and and at 23, we don't know the ages exactly. They didn't care much about that back in the ancient Near East. But we know that shortly after this whole thing with Goliath, He becomes exalted, and he becomes a general, and people are following him, and women are singing his praises. And Saul gets jealous, and it's not long after that, he starts throwing spears and trying to nail David to the wall. And I'm sure that David, in the night that he fled, and he left Michal, and and he ran for the hills, I'm sure that he wondered, why is this happening, God? I thought that I was anointed to be king. And then he gathers a whole little band of 400, you know, rejects, debtors and criminals and all the sort, exactly who you want to start, you know, your kingdom on. Isn't it funny that God God always brings the, the people who are the least to make the most amazing things? But see, in this time, God builds our faith. I want you to understand this. The troubles come because God needs you to know that he knows, number one, where you are. And number two, you need to know that he is with you in the midst of the struggle. Remember, we were reading about Joseph a few weeks back. And, and it said that every time Joseph would be in a new place, he was a slave in Potiphar's house. And it says, and the Lord was with him. And then he's, he's taken to prison. He's, he's led down into Pharaoh's dungeons. And the scripture says this. But the Lord was with him. Folks, no matter where you are right now, no matter what's going on, you need to understand that God is in the midst of your struggle. And that if you are faithful in in the trouble, then you'll be faithful in the good times too. If you, through the, the persecution and the trials that you're going through right now, develop the strength, if you develop the strength you need, then you can reign because there is an exceeding weight of glory that Scripture talks about, and there's not a lot of talk about this. But you know what? If you're going to be a king, kings wear crowns, and crowns are heavy. And so many times we get anointed to be king, like wow, ah! you got it on a Sunday night, right? God filled you with the Spirit, and you ran around this church 20 times, and you weren't even out of breath when it was done, and, and people were just, you were on fire with God's presence. And you thought, my Lord, this is it. This is what I've been looking for all my life. But you didn't know that you were anointed not only for the battle, but for the wilderness. Because right, what God started in just a fire needs to become purified. It needs to become that it's not just simply just a flame but there's a furnace that, that, that just brings your whole life into order. The wilderness, my brothers and sisters, is about making you better. First Peter 1, 6-7 says this, In all this you greatly rejoice, though for now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief. In all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refining refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. It's not just talking about praise and glory and honor when Jesus is revealed, like the the clouds part and he comes down, you know, on a white stallion. That's not just then. Jesus is revealed. Hear me. You got to hear this. When we go through our wilderness, Jesus becomes revealed in us. We become the place that that he is revealed. And through that comes his praise, his glory, his honor. And if you aren't in a place that you have gone through the wilderness, you might actually believe your own press clippings and think you're pretty awesome. The wilderness matures your walk with God. It causes us to be purified in our motives. Psalm 26 and 2, written by David, says, Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. Hmm. I've learned this. Some things can only be proven in a test. There are some things... We have, we have kids here who have graduated just recently. Gabrielle graduated last, last uh, June. And before she could walk across the stage, she had to pass her final exams. And how many of you know that if you don't pass your finals, you don't walk? There's some things, gangs, that we've got to go through. We've got to pass the test so that we can graduate into the next thing that God has for us. Because the reality is that there's some things that are more important before the trial than they are after. They say that When people go to Summit, Everest, they've they've gone to Everest and they've climbed up to the first base camp and they've spent like a week and a half, two weeks there and then they go up to the next base camp and they sit there for for literally three weeks letting their body adjust to the lack of oxygen. But when they go up to Summit at Everest, when they climb to the highest point in the world, 29,029 feet above sea level, when they go to those heights, The only thing that they take with them is their oxygen bottle. Because, honey, the higher you climb, the less junk you can carry. The wilderness comes for one reason. It comes to lighten your load. And if you don't let it, you're going to go through it again. It's a fun message, isn't it? Because the reality is this. Hear me. The reality is this. You're called to be a king and a priest. You're called to reign in the earth. And because of that, that is why you live. And God will not stop. God will not stop. There are people whose lives are tormented. There are people who are struggling right now to make life work. Their marriages are crumbling and their finances are a mess. Sometimes even in the midst of good things like that, they're still miserable. Why? Because they've not stepped into their purpose. They've not stepped into their reign. God, his kingdom is a kingdom of victories. God's kingdom is a kingdom of worship. God's kingdom is a place where the most important location in the world is next to God's presence. For those of you who don't know the story, David actually brings the ark from Shiloh up to Jerusalem to be near him. Shiloh was about 20, I think it was 28 miles from Jerusalem. It was too far for David. He needed to have God close to him. His whole life was centered in worship. And what's amazing is that this tabernacle is the place that David reigns from. What's interesting about Scripture, and, and we can't prove this, obviously, but it seems to indicate, and I want you to catch this, and I'm wrapping up here. Band, if you want to come, Band, you're welcome to. David reigns. According to Scripture, his throne is in his house. The word that's translated house can also be translated tent, which can also be translated tabernacle. So there's a really good chance that where David worshipped is where David ruled from. And the reason that some of us have not entered into our reign is because we have our reign separated from our worship. Is this too deep for you Sunday morning? You have got to link your worship to your reign. There's no such thing, hear me, clearly. There's no such thing as a secular job. If Jesus isn't revealed in you through your job where you work, whether you're a preacher or you're the local custodian, If Jesus isn't revealed in your work and how you deal with people, how you treat them, what you say, what you do, if Jesus isn't revealed in you at work, then you have siloed him. Your worship is not affecting where God wants you to reign, and you will not go forward the way that you could. I don't care what the promotion says. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care. My question is, is your worship linked to your throne right now? Because when that happens, when that happens, you get generational covenants. David's covenant is why Jesus comes. It's why when, when, when the angel goes to Mary and says, you're going to conceive a son, you're going to name his Give him the name of Jesus because he will save his people from his sins, their sins. He says this to her that he will reign upon his throne, the throne of David, his father. Is it insane to anyone else that God in flesh is going to reign from a throne of a man? See, but the reality is this. God needs to always reign through us, through our thrones, because there are no other thrones in this world but the ones that we have. I'm skipping a bunch of stuff because I know I've gone long. It's hard to fit a whole book in one message. This is the point of this whole thing. It is time, church, for us to rise. It's time for us to stop being religious. It's time for us to stop being people who just, who just have a form of godliness And deny the power thereof. It's time for the church to become the church. And to reign for him here now. There are giants in the land. I have said since coming here two years ago that I'm not here to build a big church. Church is growing. That's all great. That's not, why, that's not why we're here. It's not why David and his family moved from Michigan. It's not why my wife packed up all of our junk and brought us here from Connecticut. That's not why we're here. We are here to change and transform this whole region. There are giants in the land. But they will only be faced, met, and destroyed when the church rises up. God just needs someone to stand up with the king's anointing. And say, let's go fight. As your brother, as someone who prays for you. And is doing his best to lead you. I come to you, my fellow brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of David, anointed for the battle, anointed to be kings. And I say, let's go fight. We're gonna sing. You've got to decide what you're going to do. Do you just want church as normal? Do you just want to just show up and just hear something every week? Or do you want to start living the Bible? Do you want to start laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover? Do you want to start seeing the impossible happen? Do you want to start seeing drug addicts on the street instantly sober up and look at you with blinking eyes and go, my buzz is gone? And go, oh, yeah. That's when it gets fun. That's when this is more than just simply Our religion. It's us becoming who we're created to be, kings and priests. If anybody wants that, I don't need you to come up here. If you want to come up and get prayed for and loose the anointing in your life, come on. We'll do that. Elders, be ready. We'll do that. But this is the thing. It's not about getting prayed for one more time by somebody else. It's about you committing and saying, God, I want that. I want it. I want it. I'm tired of this religion junk. I want what I was made for. I'm going to pray for us. Father, in Jesus' name. I thank you that you made us for more than just simply going to church. I thank you that you made us for more than just simply being people that, that, that name your name and, and call you out periodically in prayer. I, I, I'm glad that you, you made us for more than just simply being just members of a body somewhere, that you've called us all. To reign for you in this world and to bring, to, to, to answer your prayer that your kingdom come, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let us be, let us be the manifestation of your will in this world. I pray your blessing upon everybody that's here. If anybody's confused lord i pray that you cause them to to just give them instruction lord and if they need if they need my help lord bring them to me so i can help them grow but lord this one thing i know i know that you made us for more than what we're living right now i ask your blessings on each and every one of us i ask lord god for those that lack the faith to step out in the battle. That they would begin to have the courage well up inside them. That they feel and know that you are with them. And the fight is fixed. You've already won the victory. I pray for faith to sweep through these folks. Through all of us. Through me. That we would become the kings and priests that you've called us to. Thank you. Lord Jesus, for calling me brother. The honor of that. Bless us in Jesus' name and let us step into our calling. Amen. While we stand, let's worship. If anyone needs to come up, come on. You are kings. Go and reign.
1: Lord, I come and I confess, bowing here, I find my rest without you. And without you, I fall apart. You're the Lord, I need you.
0: now, Holy Spirit, just sweep in this room and just deposit, deposit encouragement and faith and trust. Lord God, use your people and in their hands, place the sword for battle. Let them walk with you victoriously every day of their life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, gang. Love y'all. Happy Thanksgiving.